3: This is Talk of the Devils, the athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United, and yes, we are going to Wembley again. I've missed this feeling. All the plans, all the messages going around. Everyone thinking about how they get into Wembley. Can they trust the trains? Are we getting a coach? And That's just Andy Mitten's article about the trip down to the capital for the final against Newcastle later on this month. Andy's with us. Carl Anker is also with us as well, who spent a very enjoyable evening at Old Trafford watching Manchester United waltz their way to Wembley. It was
2: easy, Carl, wasn't it? It was straightforward. I had a moment in the first half where I went, This might end up 0 0. And we don't care. At half time, I went, just do that again, and we'll get to the final. That's it, right? You don't you don't need to be entertaining in a semi-final, especially when you're 3-0 no up from the first leg.
3: No, that's true. Uh, but actually, it got quite fun towards the end, Andy, didn't it? Uh, when the subs came on, what a triple substitution that was. Wembley, Wembley,
1: <laughs> we're the famous... Sorry, mate, I'm a bit buzzing, because we've got a Wembley for the first time in a long time,
3: <laughs> and I'm excited. That's how I should have started the podcast. Yeah.
1: People say to me, How the mighty have fallen. Well, (laughs) just look at the league table. The mighty have fallen. Manchester United are not as good as they were. And I am allowed to get excited about a trip to Wembley, going down to London with my mate, seeing United. And yeah, it's only the League Cup. I don't care. It feels absolutely brilliant at the moment. 12 straight wins at Old Trafford. Respect to Forrest for getting to the semis. But 5-0 on aggregate in a semi-final is really... Out out of
3: interest, who are these people sneering at you going to a cup final? People who've never been to a game of football, (laughs)
1: judging by the type of people who contact me on Twitter who don't know what it's about to be, to be a football fan. And you can't tell anyone how they should or, or shouldn't feel. My point is, while it is important to get into the top four, we might have mentioned that in the past, it's glory, glory, Man United. And I've written that in the article. Some of the greatest moments in Manchester United's history have been at Wembley Stadium. It's not about signing players. You don't have cup parades parades for finishing fourth or for for signing players. It's about the moments of glory. It's about sharing those moments with fellow fans. And the disappointments which make you appreciate the highs even more. But look at United's history. Wembley, 68, first team to win the European Cup from England. Major turning points. Matt Busby's first trophy. Where was it? Wembley. The first trophy after Munich, Wembley, 63. The only highlights of the 70s, Wembley, FA Cup, 77, stopping Liverpool win the treble. What about the 80s, those FA Cups? I remember Whiteside scoring that goal in the 85 final. It's the only time I've cried watching a game of football, honestly, in all of my entire life, the emotion of, of, of that. Fergie's first trophy, turning point, Wembley. Wembley, Wembley, Wembley. It was an absolute ashtray of a stadium at the end. Awful, wasn't it? I don't like people romanticising about the Twin Towers. It was a shit tip. It really was overpriced. The views were absolutely terrible. And people say, no, oh, it used to be better. Nonsense. The new Wembley is one of the best stadiums in the world, and I cannot wait to go there.
3: I can remember writing an article as part of a project at university about how annoyed I was about the new Wembley Stadium. There was some line in there about you shouldn't be getting an escalator to a football match. There's something fundamentally wrong in that. (laughs) Uh, But actually, all these years on, it was an improvement after all because your feet were dry by the time you came out of the stadium and they weren't wading through um, Mm. something that used to run down the stands and and through the concourse. Carl, in terms of United's progression as well, just a really important moment, isn't it, for Eric Ten Hag to be able to get them to a cup final, whatever the competition, in his first season. It it sort of underlines the progress that that we've seen in in recent weeks. Yeah,
2: we've spoken before about how Ten Hag needs to get buy-in and how he needs to make Manchester United fans not mention a certain manager with the initials MP. Uh, And there's no better way to do that than uh, get to a cup final. Now... You know, Ten Hag was pretty bullish at full time, saying, look, it's a great achievement to get to a final, but it's not about reaching a final, it's about winning it. And I think, yeah, winning a final, achieving the end, emitting standard of quality, that'll be a very nice first season.
3: Yeah, because actually, and we said this on the last podcast, I don't know what our expectations exactly were, because I'm not sure we, we sort of pinned them on a wall and pointed at them and, and made them that clear, but... I don't think I was expecting a a cup final this season. I don't think I was expecting United to be sort of in such a a good position to make the top four at sort of the halfway point of the season as well. So in that sense, you know, this is good, isn't it, Andy?
1: It's very good, especially after those first two games. I remember doing a a survey on United We Stand and people were predicting sixth this season. Sixth, Even stupid talk about we're going to avoid relegation after that defeat at Brentford. So the win against Forest was the 12th consecutive victory at Old Trafford. Clean sheets are a plenty. Eric Ten is the main man responsible. I like him more every single week. I love the way that he deals with the media. I love His some these players. <laughs> Casimiro has improved Manchester United. I'm going to wear this roll neck. I might even wear the roll neck on a pre-Wembley podcast. I want you to wear it to Wembley, King...
3: Andy, let alone wearing it on a podcast.
1: I ain't got the balls to wear a, roll, a, a cream roll neck to Wembley.
3: It won't be cream by the end of the game, that's for sure.
1: Someone came up to me because I was wearing it at a game recently and went, you dress like you're from London. And I was gutted. <laughs> 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 I will wear it again because it's a it's a absolutely beautiful jumper that I, I was... um given, but no. Nah. The league position's decent. United have not won anything yet. Newcastle United are a very good team. They were the last team to take points at Old Trafford. I was so impressed by their defence in October. But you have got two huge clubs. Newcastle United have not won a trophy since 1969. I remember when when my Uncle Charlie went to manage them in the 50s, he rang Sir Matt Busby up and said, I've been offered the Newcastle United job. And Sir Matt Busby said to him, take it. He said they get 30,000 to watch the shirts dry up there. It is a huge football club. And it is. And I, I really respect Newcastle United fans. And I've I've travelled with them. Every away day is an absolute trek. I won't be quite so conciliatory if they win the game, nor in the days leading up to the final. But I can't wait for it. It's the League Cup. It's not the Champions League final. So what? League Cup is a big deal for Manchester United right now. It felt a big deal when united beat forest actually um in 92 I was gutted when we got beat by Sheffield Wednesday in that final there was that run where they all sort of merged into the other trophies mm-hmm. where manchester Noughties. united were playing well, not second string elevens but darren gibson started and I think league ben cup foster
3: final. was like man of the match Didn't in they? one of the league cup finals wasn't yeah, he yeah, as, ben foster a, was in as goal. a second choice yeah. goalkeeper saved saved key penalties in the shootout against tottenham was it mm-hmm. i think
1: yeah, it was. And just Wembley. We, we haven't been. And there's times where I got sick of going, but not now. Absence has made the heart grow fonder. Everyone's talking about how we get in there. Will I get a ticket? Um, there'll definitely be stories about trains being whatever, cancelled or not enough trains coming back or not enough tickets. That's the buzz that goes around a cup final. there be more attention paid on this final than any League Cup final for a long, long time. People were getting bored of Manchester City just winning it all the time. Even City fans were getting bored. They weren't even selling all the tickets for the final. And I I don't say that in a sneering way. My brother-in-law said to me, I cannot afford to go to Wembley with the kids for a fourth time this season. And I'm thinking, that used to be us. And it's been a long time. But we'll go to Wembley. Big weekend in London. Let's beat the Geordies. And enjoy it
3: absolutely And his article about what football is all about is on the athletic right now you can go and read that Carl's also been a busy boy doing his job and writing about how Manchester united cope without Christian Eriksen. and one of the points you make right at the start of that piece Carl so pertinent Eriksen actually doesn't rotate does he
2: no no, no there was a there was a very nice IX reporter last night when the lineup was announced going, Ah, I hear Manchester United fans have reached the same point we did a couple of seasons ago where you're going, Oh, Eric, just rotate. It was a really strong starting eleven, you the know, Sandra Martinez and Rafael Varane as a starting centre backs and you're going, and you're like, Oh, all right, blimey. I think maybe six players in that starting lineup you could argue are in United's strongest eleven. There was no Rashford. Um but that was about you no know, Rashford and Luke Shaw was ill, but that was about it. The reasoning for, you know, Ten Hag said, I want to win. And also, you know, Varane had, uh, had 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 a bit of a rest. So today was a good chance to bring him in. But you're going, I mean, you just lost Crickson Ericsson because you played him at a time where you probably could have given no a breather. Are you sure about this? Uh, but, you know, lo and behold, things told because he, he ended up putting even more first teamers in to, to settle things in the second half. Uh, this is what Ten Hag does. You know, if you, if you listen to. A lot of his interviews, he talks about routines a lot. Uh, and learning the routines is something he, he very much wants. He, he'd much rather have his best players in the starting 11 for an hour so they can learn these automatisms and choreograph moves. He keeps teaching them rather than do you know play the second string and then if things get bad, put someone on for 20 minutes. You know you aren't having those bad you know, bad 60 minutes and then having to put someone in for 20 minutes to, to salvage things. So it's working for now. Uh, and as Andy pointed out on Twitter, uh, Mr. Ten Hag knows these players and their injury records a bit better than we do because he sees them every single day. So for now, thumbs up. But yeah, I think every single starting line we get from Ten Hag, especially in the Cups, is going to raise an eyebrow and go, blimey.
3: Yeah, I'm not going to sort of ask questions now, I don't think, about who's going to be rested in this because it's clear now that it's very unlikely anyone's going to get rested. I mean... Ganacho and Heaton, maybe, with the sort of names from the periphery that came into the starting lineup. But other than that, really strong. Carl, in terms of what you saw of, of Fred and Casimiro together, obviously the, the, the go to line, will they play together for Brazil, uh, is there. But in a Manchester United shirt, and obviously with the other players around them, which is a key difference to when they play for Brazil, how do you see this working for Manchester United in, in the coming weeks? It's
2: solid. You know, it, it's not, uh, it's functional. Is that a complimentary? It's it's functional without being term? too much fun if, to, 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 to make it a bit flowery. Fred certainly had license to, to get forward and to, and to go left and right and go wide. But, uh, and I'll, I'll apply the small asterisk here in that it was uh, Garnacho on the left-hand side and Anthony and, and Juan Bissaka on the right-hand side. So those pairings with Fred's passing perhaps weren't, what they would be if it's Marcus Rashford or if it's uh, Diogo Dalot. But uh, yeah, in terms of ball progression, when Fred is progressing the ball, not the best. But I think Fred is getting better and he is... We've talked about the concept of good Fred and bad Fred before. And I think there will be fewer bad Fred moments when he plays next to Casemiro because Casemiro has a just a knack of going, stand left, just move five yards this way, man on. And getting those more veteran bits of help into it. So defensively, it's good. But also by hmm, attacking-wise, there is a noticeable drop-off in what Fred can offer compared to Christian Eriksen.
3: He's added a few goals of late, hasn't he, Fred? Which is unusual for him. I think it's the first time he's scored in back-to-back games for 11 years or something like that. (laughs) Obviously, he found the net against Reading and Nottingham Forest last night. But how much emphasis is on Bruno Fernandes now, Andy? Uh, he, he has been a talisman for Manchester United, undoubtedly, during his time at Old Trafford. But during this period and in, in a different team, there's going to be a lot of onus on him, isn't there? How ready do you think he is? How, how do you assess his form and being able to step up to the plate to, to be the ultimate creative force for United? Because Eriksson's assists have been sort of understated, actually, in some ways.
1: Ericsson made seven assists in 19 league games. It's significant, and he could be a significant loss to Manchester United. But to your question about Bruno, I think he has stepped up. I think he was joint man of the match, if you like, with Casemiro against Forest. Two passes in that game were the best moments of the match. There's a pass in the first half mm. to, I think it was to Luke Shaw, and then the one leading up to the second goal. And he is another player who improves with Casemiro behind him, closing the space down, doing the the invisible stuff. Fred is another one. Casemiro just makes those around him better. His interceptions, did you see for one of the goals, started when Casemiro intercepted the ball. So Bruno likes him, respects him. If you're in a team and you've got absolute confidence in your teammates, that is a good thing because we don't need to go back longer than a year ago When that wasn't the case at Manchester United, Ericsson's a blow. So Sabitzer has come in. I'm not watching Bayern Munich all the time. So I picked up the phone the other day. I rang contacts in Germany, people who work in professional football, scouts, agents, former players, journalists. And I tell me. And you'll tell
3: us everything you know about Sabitzer in the next part, Andy, yeah? Yeah,
1: I will do if you want to. Yeah. Thank you. Just jumped ahead of ourselves here, but I'm just teasing (laughs) the listeners.
3: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting addition. There's no question about that and we'll get into it. It was an interesting turn of events on deadline day, in fairness, to bring him in. Uh, let's go back to that change, Carl. How brilliant was it and how sort of old Manchester United was it to look to a touchline and to see Rashford, Martial and Jadon Sancho, three attacking players of that quality, coming on to affect the game? It felt like a throwback in some ways, that.
2: It was fun. You know, there were parts of that second half where... You know, you, you, your mind could drift a little bit. And uh, I sort of saw Sancho take off his bib. I remember nudging Mark Critchley next to him. I'm going, oh, it's happening. It's happening.
3: Good to see him back, uh, wasn't it? It's a nice evasion. And you going, well. oh,
2: you know, it's that thing of, oh, it's Sancho. And then you slowly realise behind him, Rashford and Martial were, were, were stripping off as well. Um, my editor, Sam Brown, went, bloody hell, was putting on the kill squad, which... Maybe not the most PG nickname for the trio, but I quite like it as a front three. The preseason squad. Absolutely. That
3: was the front three in preseason. They actually looked really good in preseason. That Liverpool game, when we were all getting carried away, they were brilliant.
2: So they all come on, and I'm going, oh, amazing. We're going to see the preseason front three. And then it was all, you know, when I, mean, I sort of blinked three or four times, I went, oh, it's not. Sancho's not playing on the right hand side. He's as the 10. Mm. And that mm-hmm. was the. In- interesting that. That was, uh, that was quite interesting to me. At full time, I asked Ten Hag why he did that. Uh, and in that way that Ten Hag does, where he sort of takes your question, breaks it up into two or three bits and goes, right, I'm going to tell you this bit, because if I give you the main meat, I'll reveal too much of my secrets. He uh, he explained it as a concept of Bruno Fernandes being very useful on the right-hand side, rather than, rather than explain what exactly Jaden Sancho does as the 10. Do
3: you think it's because there's the option then to play Bruno deeper and Sancho in that position, Andy? Do you think that's what he was having a look at because he's done it a couple of times this season with Marcus Rashford as a 10, mainly actually with Cristiano Ronaldo when he was still at the club. But you could see if there's no Ericsson for this extended period, there might be matches where it's not Fred and it's Bruno that's a little deeper and Jadon Sancho's in that 10. Do you think that's an option for him? It absolutely is. There's
1: several of those players who can play in several positions. I'm glad Carl asked Eric Ten Hag about uh, those, those positionings. Ten Hag spoke after the Manchester derby and said Bruno was the best player on the pitch and he played in the right there. Uh, He gave his reasons and the the combinations and how Anthony's a different uh, type of of player to to Bruno. I think that Ten Hag is keeping a very settled side while looking for potential changes that may benefit his side. He doesn't know how good or how bad... Jaden Sancho is going to be now he's back. He's given him all the tools, he's encouraged him. He knows there's a good player there. The club feel that they've supported him in every way possible, but he needs to deliver on the pitch as he was doing pre-season and at various moments at the start of the season. And if he could become an important player for Manchester United, that's a big headache solved because a month ago he was he was out of uh, out of the picture. And we've got hopes for Vegos, you could see it was an obvious one that they need a target man there. He's just going to get minutes. He's a reference point in the side. He's got his height. He gives something that no other player at that club can give. And we lost a lot of attackers last season, some big names. People like Cavani were world-class players. And no one's talking about him now, but he's gone. And when Cristiano went, you needed another forward there. So there's lots of players um, who can play in that team, in various midfield roles. It's the one position that Manchester United have had too many players in in the last five or six years. It's literally seven or eight players who all wanted to play in Bruno's role, but either pushed left, pushed right, pushed deeper. Pushed out. When Donny van der Beek first signed, you know, what's his favourite role? It's where Bruno plays. Well, how, how's he going to figure? What's going to happen here? So with the, with the injuries, the three injuries... Um, I can see why a, a change was made. I still think Bruno's the main man. if you're choosing your idealized eleven now, Bruno would still play in a central role there. but if Eric Ten Hag wants to experiment light when his team are comfortably leading against nottingham Forest then then go for it i, I, I back. He's watching them players every day. He's receiving more information from his scouts, from his sports scientists, from everybody. He's the man.
2: I think Bruno Fernandez being the right essential as the 10 also reduced some of the defensive burden Sancho would have had in that first early minute. Ten Hag also spoke about how he was interested to see how Sancho would interact with Martial ahead of him. One of the points I thought was, was quite nice, he said, as a team, we, we dominate pressure, clo- we're, we're closer to the opponent's goal for longer now than we were at the start of the season. Which was a really nice observation of just that how much better Manchester United have got in the weeks, and he says that,
3: and that should benefit Sancho, shouldn't it? Yeah,
2: very much. Ten said that would be that would directly benefit Sancho, and it'd be better to see what sort of combination Sancho can do because, I mean, he's not the most explosive winger, but when he's in the half spaces and he can interact with with your number ten like Bruno Fernandes, with a player like Marcus Rashford and, and Anthony Martial, when he's close to really like minded football players, that's when Sancho really thrives. So I think that's why Ten Hag tried him as the 10 there. I'm not sure if Bruno Fernandes will play in a deeper role too much. Perhaps that's me having too many flashbacks of when he was playing that 4-3-3 Paul Pogba last season, but I, I always want Bruno True. a bit closer to goal. And a bit further away from ours yep. as well. Yep. Uh, and uh, I also asked him about why uh, he gave Victor Lindelof a go at defensive midfield. I know quite a few listeners have asked me throughout the seasons, uh, can Lindelof go there? And I was like, absolutely not, stop saying it. Uh, and then Ternhaga went, well, you know, he, he did it at Benfica and he does it in our training sessions, so why not? <laughs> yep, there's some to
3: look forward to in weeks <laughs> to come Victor Lindelof in midfield. Right, okay, let's move it on. Uh, I need to point in the direction of those articles. Though Karl's take on last night in replacing Christian Eriksen and Andy's, report as well on Manchester United going to Wembley both of those are on The Athletic at the moment if you're not a subscriber and you want to read those you can sign up now for £1.99 a month for a year when you go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod
0: looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
3: Andy Misson's been sitting on his hands since I cut him off halfway through his insights on our new midfielder, Andy, go on then, take it away. Tell us about Sabitzer.
1: It's not my insight. I had to pick up the phone and do what I'm supposed to do, but... You had the numbers to ring, yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's the hard bit, is getting the numbers to to ring. One of them was actually a fan, a Bayern Munich Ultra, who I bumped into outside Molyneux a couple of weeks ago.
3: Proper home and away. What was a Bayern Munich Ultra doing at Molyneux?
1: So, I'm sort of stood there outside the main stand and... Looking for wolves fans to speak to, and I see a lad there, and he looks like a bit of a lad, and I'm thinking someone our readers might enjoy listening to. Where are you from, mate? And I'm thinking he's going to say like Dudley, and he says, uh, "I'm from Munich." <laughs> what on earth are you doing here? He says, oh, I like English football. He, he had a soft spot for Wolves. The team or the animal. I'd assume it was wolves Wonders, given who stood outside Molyneux. <laughs> but I will go back and ask him. But I really liked him. He was really interesting, you know, telling me stuff like, it cost me €11 Euros to watch Bayern Munich. I'm like, what? And a few weeks later, when Manchester United buy, loan a loaner player from there, I can go to people like him, as well as, as, as analysts and scouts and journalists and former players, and... Get a handle on on what Sabitzer's is like. the The first person I spoke to was Bjorn Bjorn Goldbach. He he lives in Germany. He's an agent now, and he was a Danish international. And he played for Schalke. He played for Chelsea actually. And I said, "Go on." And he went, "I'm just being. I'm I'm just on the way to a hotel in in Milan because it was obviously busy time for him,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and it was a transfer deadline day." And I thought, "Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. I've just rang an agent on transfer deadline day here." But anyway. He was good to me. Ericsson is smooth and light and makes world-class passes. And while they both take good free kicks, Sabitzer doesn't have the same X-factor as Er Ericsson. At least on the field, he says, laughing. What do you mean by that? He said, just just have a look. And of course, Sabitzer is married to a Ukrainian-born model and German TV personality, who's easy on the eyes. But he also said, Sabitzer has not been seen as a, a success at Bayern Munich so far. Uh, Since signing for for RB, despite being signed by Nagelsmann, his former coach at Leipzig, I don't expect him to make Manchester United significantly better. But he should be able to adapt to the Premier League. He's strong, he's physical and I can understand why United have signed him after the injury to Eriksen. One analyst speaking on condition of uh, anonymity. Said Sabic is a very, very good player. Dynamic, good stamina, aggressive. He presses well when his team are in shape. He's good at the counter-press in transitional moments. He was the main man at Leipzig, but not at Bayern where he had Kimmich, Goretzka, Gravenbach. Different gravy, all of them. He found himself not playing enough. And when top players don't play enough, they get unhappy. It's a good signing for United. A player United need. Eriksson is... He's good going forward, but Sabitzer gives United something at both ends. I think it will work out. And then there was the fan as well, who um, just talked about how he'd pretty much underwhelmed and he couldn't understand why he was signed. He'd never asserted himself against Kimmich, Goretzka, Musiala, etc. And Bayern are, are going to sign Leimer, another Austrian, also from RB. In the summer. And he doesn't think that Sabitzer's got much of a future at Munich. So if he does well at Manchester United, then... There, there could be a future for him at Manchester United, but you know he's not even kicked a ball yet. Let's just let's see what he's like first.
3: He's not even got his paperwork yet, has he? Is, is he registered yet? Andy? you know?
1: No, I don't know that, but I know that um, United are very diligent legally. Uh, I don't know how leaving the EU complicates things.
3: Yeah, more now than before. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Even just the process of getting the paperwork through seems to be taking longer than it than it did before uh, in a post-Brexit landscape in the UK. Um, there's a piece on The Athletic from Mark Critchley, a bit of a backgrounder on Sabat Sakal. There's some interesting insight about the personality that Manchester United have got on loan in terms of making decisions that other people might not have made. He sort of turned his nose up at a trial as a kid at Bayern Munich, despite the fact that he supported Bayern uh, because he didn't feel that that was going to be the right place for him to start his career. He chose Rapid Vienna, um, when making his first big move which shocked a lot of people because he had opportunity to go to Germany at that point even going to Germany in the end um, he went to a Leipzig side who were, who were in uh, the second flight at the time um, he's not taken an obvious path really I suppose he's the first Austrian or he's going to be the first Austrian to play for Manchester United as well but some interesting insight from Mark about the man that United have have got. What what do you know about him? What have you seen of
2: him? Yeah, he's taken the long the long route to the top. Uh, I mean, Manchester United fans would have seen a little bit about him in that certain uh, Champions League game that Mister Mitten is loath to bring up. Uh, yeah,
3: <laughs> saw a bit too much of all the RB Leipzig players that night for my life. Just a little yeah. bit.
2: And uh, yeah, it's so, bit. So first, sort of the the back-of-the-sandwich-bag analysis, the man can run for days. He has ridiculous stamina. Very, very mobile. Uh, He's quite two-footed. He's probably not got Christian Eriksen's inventive eye for a pass, but he's got uh, better long-range passes than Christian Eriksen. He's fond of a switch. So uh, if he plays in deeper midfield next to Casemiro, expect quite a few times where he's going to ping it long to Marcus Rashford on the left or ping it long to to Antti on the right-hand side. Uh, We've spoken here about how Eriksen tends to tire in the 70th minute and that can make United's midfield a bit porous. In theory, if Zabitza gets his positioning right, which he tends to be pretty good at, that issue should stop. Um, And if you think about how Fred and Casemiro are solid and functional, uh, this should be functional plus uh, with Zabitza in there. The deal is okay fine. I'm I'm like, oh, not bad. That, that, that solves a problem. That secretly makes United better in the second half. I can't, I cannot. And this is based on absolutely nothing. You can tell me off for this. I can't but help shake the feeling that Manchester United probably went to Bayern Munich and checked if Ryan Gravenberg was free because Ten Hag knows him from Ajax and then Bayern went, no, not really. But with Subitzer is.
3: <laughs> How this guy though?
2: Can't help shake the feeling.
3: I was going to say, Andy, how did it come about? Because we were sort of, I was teasing you saying, you're saying there's a chance, you're saying there's a chance in the last podcast and it turned out there actually was a chance. Yeah, yeah. I
1: knew absolutely nothing when you were asking me that. It all happened late when the severity of Christian Eriksen's injury came through. United looked at which players would be available on loan of potentially the required standard from a club who would let the player go on loan, so you can see why Sabitzer uh, was allowed to go for the reasons Carl and I have explained. I did ring one uh, contact in Cologne, who's a pretty well-known name in German football, and he just said, "I've got to be completely honest with you, I'm I'm preparing for the Cologne Carnival. <laughs> the last thing I want to talk about is football." And <laughs> sent me some links of him. And and with his mates dressed in all kinds of carnival gear, so there you go. That's the life of a of of a journalist. A
2: carnival in February. That's
1: not bad. Midweek it? as well. L- you know what? Look at the major carnivals in the world. Mm. Lots of them are in February. South America. The most of them are in February. The Rio Carnival, I think, is in February. The the ones in around Barcelona are in February. Unfortunately, not when. <laughs> Manchester United
3: <laughs> fans are in town because they could add a dash of colour. That'll be a carnival of football instead, Andy, won't it? Obviously.
2: There it is. There it is. Gosh, yeah. You
3: sound <laughs> like you're sponsored by a multinational <laughs> saying that. TM. Yeah, I'm not. So just
1: It's just he, so you know.
2: open if anyone's listening. Ian is available for sponsorship.
3: Yeah, I am. So.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I remember um, watching United pre season a few years ago when Pele came onto the pitch, God rest his soul. And he was sponsored by one of the credit card companies, and he was so cringe with it. And on the pitch, we have Pele presented by MasterCard or Visa. And when he started speaking, it was just so cringe with it. My Visa or MasterCard man of the match, brought to you in association <laughs> with American Express, is Kieran Richardson. Way! <laughs> just cringe away not to, to link. But I, I, if anyone is listening for this from any major multinational companies Ian is available and will wear a t-shirt to Wembley with your brand name on it yep you know the email
3: get in touch there you go Okay, we need to talk about Crystal Palace because that's the next game for Manchester United in this Feast of Football in February. There's another little line for the uh, for the advertisers. <laughs> There's one thing about Crystal Palace um, that shocked me when I was having a look at this. United's record against them at Old Trafford, Carl, is pretty poor, actually. They've only beat them once at home since 2017.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think Palace's uh, ability on counter-attack has really helped them in recent seasons. I was there... At the start of 2021, where United was still drips and drabs and returning back from Cologne and Palace beat him 3-1 to start the season with. And uh yeah, you know, they are they're, they're no joke as evidenced in that one all draw. They've got options in attack that make them quite potent to what will often be a, a weakness to Ten Hag's team. So that defensive transition where you know United send four or five attackers up, uh Palace can get the space behind and hit really quickly when they've got people like Eze. Alise and maybe Wilfried Zaha.
3: Sounds like he's quite a severe doubt at the moment, doesn't it? Okay, which is good news if that is the case because he has been a bit of a thorn in United's side at times, hasn't he? They've got so many players though of a similar capability, haven't they? Really, I think Zaha is a step above, but Eduard Ayu. Eze, you mentioned as well. They're all capable of running in behind. Mateta's slightly different and bringing more of a physicality as Lissandro Marti and as his cheekbone can reference in recent weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the record overall against Palace is not good. One win in five, and that was Ralph Rangnick's uh, first home game in charge, wasn't it, last season? It was a pretty drab 1-0 uh, win for United. Fred scored, but we, we saw all this pressing. We were quite excited about what he'd managed to get his team to do, how that changed over the weeks after... Yeah,
1: I think the first 29 minutes of that game, I was going, whoa, I've not seen this before. And it was that yeah. pressing that you talked about. and we That was did...
3: about as good as it got, actually, I think. It
1: was. And we can laugh about it, but that was the clearest yeah. sign I saw of Ralph Rangnick's football. And, and we didn't see it again. Palace, probably the lowest moment in Manchester United's recent history, came against Crystal Palace at, at Old Trafford. In '89, the vast majority of Manchester United fans wanted Sir Alex Ferguson to be sacked. The team were going absolutely nowhere. Crowds were down to the low 30,000s. By the end of that season, United had beaten Crystal Palace in the FA Cup final after a replay. They've got a big beef with Manchester United for, for several reasons. One of them is that United have stolen their thunder in their Cup final appearances. Of course, 2016 as well. Um, Palace have done really well to establish themselves as a Premier League team. I think it's a decade now. Um, I think they're in a, a good place. They might finally rebuild the main stand, but they've been talking about it since 1979, I think. But they've not won in five matches. They've only won six of their 20 games this season. They're a stubborn team. We saw that at Sellers Park this season, last season. Carl picked me up when I described him as being good, Patrick <laughs> Vieira being good, but I think if you're Crystal Palace and you're mid-table in the Premier League, that is good. I like what they've, going on with, with, they've got going on with the fan culture and the Homesdale enders bringing a bit of noise to sellers, but Manchester United have got to be winning this match. Got to be. No ifs or buts. This isn't Arsenal coming to, to Old Trafford. Got to be breaking down that side, and 1-0 will do. 13. Can't be... Un- got. Is it going to be lucky or unlucky 13 if Manchester. Uh, that would be an unlucky
3: it? 13, wouldn't it, if they didn't win? And then it can't be lucky, can it?
1: No, it can't. Sponsored by Mastercard. <laughs> Just different. <laughs> <with it. laughs>
3: um, in terms of the next few weeks, Carl, whichever way you look, these are really, really important games for United. I mean, how pivotal do you think February is going to be? Is it? Is this the month that makes or breaks United's end to the season, potentially? It either sets up something pretty special. Or it becomes a real slog.
2: Yeah, I think quite a few United fans have, have got really enjoyed the whole. Uh, yeah, only English team in four competitions. Like, well, that's going to be tested in February. Yeah, uh, I think there is the small silver lining that a number of these games are at home, so that that should help build momentum.
3: I've never known so many home games <laughs> in the cup. I mean, never. Are we actually no. going to be at the point where we've had as many home games in the Cup this season as league games? It doesn't feel like we'll be far off. It's it's, it's never happened
1: before, the, the, the nine consecutive home draws. I know I go on about it. You don't, and Andy, no. Not we, at all. <laughs> barely mentioned it. I feel sorry for the, what, um, the, odds again? the people involved in... For, five hundred and eleven but but as soon as you do that you get like a mathematician going hi Andy I'm from Yale University I'm the lead mathematician I've got to take issue with a point of uh of, of what you've written there about that about the odds I, I I listen to the talk of the Devils podcast but y- y- your point on decimalization all right I'm sorry I'm wrong I'm just saying like it's pretty mad that we've got nine consecutive uh, home games the lads who sell the fanzines aren't complaining about it. I feel sorry for the people
3: who've got to produce the United Review, the programme, because it's it's every three days. Imagine their brainstorming sessions. By the way, it's like what what can we put in this one? I don't know. <laughs> We're right about
1: oh no. They're doing they're doing a, a good job of it, and I think there's a little bit of fatigue with all the home matches. On the bright side does give people a chance to get tickets there's been a surge in demand for tickets post-Covid with Manchester United doing well so there are ticket opportunities there's been some massive away followings at Old Trafford but please just give us one decent away day in the FA Cup
3: I think we're up to 11 home cup ties at this point at that's Old Trafford remarkable. this season wow so then last 16 quarterfinals semifinals that's 14 if you can continue in the Europa League FA Cup there's an opportunity to get a couple more so you're not far <laughs> off having as many home games at uh, in the Cups as league games. Um But yeah, just going back to the point, Carl, by the end of this month, United might have their first piece of silverware under Eric ten Hag. They could have beaten one of their biggest competitors for the Europa League. They can make further progress in the FA Cup, further cement the place in the top four. You know, the, this period is is really, really important, isn't it?
2: Yep. Uh I, I also, after the victory against Reading, they were talking about, on ITV, they are talking about the, the idea of when you're playing that often, that suits a number of players. Yeah, they, they brought up, you know, back in the day, Wayne Rooney sometimes preferred not having to train too much and just having so many games, so he just built up a rhythm. Um, and I think, yeah, if you are one of Ten Hag's uh, preferred players who isn't, you know, you're not going to get rotated out the side, this could be a really good time to build momentum. Um, if you are Jadon Sancho, and this is a really good time to just get quite a couple of reps under your belt. Uh, and uh, I think, yeah, I'd be intrigued to see if he plays a little bit more on the right-hand side as well as the 10 because he, he offers something different to Anthony if you're one of those players who is not in 10 hugs immediate 11 this might be quite difficult you know if you're someone like say palestri or garnacho this might be a ah right when do I get to play do I have to wait until March every plus has a con uh, and every con has a small silver lining so really difficult for 10 hugs united at this point
1: and Andy, final word Aaron wan will be playing for Manchester United. A month ago, Crystal Palace wanted him, absolutely wanted him. They would have taken him. There was no agreement on the type of money and Eric Tanag wanted to keep Aaron Wambasaka, bissaka not, not surprisingly. Beat Crystal Palace and then February is a huge month. Two games against Leeds United, um, two games against Barcelona and a final at Wembley. I think it's a great time to be alive and be a Manchester United fan at the moment. I'm really, really enjoying it the world just feels a much better place when you support a football team and that football team are winning and playing well.
3: Amen to that. I can't think of a better way of wrapping it up. So let's do it. Let's say thank you to Andy and thank you to Carl as well. Thanks for both being with us. Thank you for listening at home as well. Don't forget, there is that special podcast price of £1.99 a month for a year when you subscribe at athletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But we'll speak to you after Palace. See you on the next one. Bye-bye.
2: Athletic.